Boat. 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 That's how we're starting this segment. All right. Sounds All good right. to me. So, um, yeah, now let's... Now we're back, and uh, we're going to talk about our New Year's movies. Um, I'll go first, and what's interesting for me is that uh, my movie was the very first movie that we talked about on this podcast. Yeah. Which was uh, the film Moonstruck. With Nicolas Cage and Cher. And uh, let's not forget Olympia Dukakis, and also... Danny Aiello. And John Mahoney, and... I'm not quite sure if it's her or him, but I felt like I saw Paul Mazursky played the father, but I might be wrong about that. And that guy from Frasier who played Frasier's dad? Yeah, it's John Mahoney. Oh, okay. Sorry. What did you do? What did I do? You ruined my life. That's impossible. It was ruined when I got here. You ruined my life. No, I didn't. Oh, yes, you did. You know, you got them bad eyes like a gypsy, and I don't know why I didn't see it yesterday. Bad luck. That's it. Is that all I'm ever going to have? Oh, I should have taken a rock and killed myself years ago. I'm going to marry him. Do you hear me? Last night never happened, and I'm going to marry him, and you and I are going to take this to our coffins. I can't do that. Why not? I'm in love with you. <laughs> no, it's all right. I I forgot that he played Fraser's dad, so we're even. Okay, sounds good. Um, yeah, so I mean, we talked about this movie before. Um, I um, I like um, it's a uh, what's it? There are a couple of things that are interesting to me. First of all, I noticed that the movie is written by uh, this guy John Patrick Shanley, and he's had an interesting career. I haven't seen all of his credits, but two things stand out to me. Uh, one is he wrote Joe versus the volcano. That's a movie I keep hearing about, but yeah. I have no idea. I, I saw this when what I was it a is. Kid. I saw it when I was a kid. I think like I had the videotape in my collection when I was a kid, and I'm sure I watched it, and I probably don't have a memory of it. Um, but I think it was a fun movie. <laughs> I, I ask that like it's a question. It couldn't have been worse than Dante's Peak. No, but I mean. It, <laughs> Well, that one, I think, was a movie about a guy who decides he's going to jump into a volcano or something. and But, yeah, it's a romantic comedy with Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. Huh. So you have that movie. And then he made... Then he wrote... Uh, he was also... A play, he's been a playwright for a while. And he wrote... The Theater. Play, well, well, <laughs> all right. But he wrote the play Doubt, which became the movie Doubt. Oh, okay. Which is a movie I really like a lot. That movie... And also... Um, as a sidebar, has a tiny bit of a personal connection for me. Because um, John Patrick Shanley wrote the play about his experiences at an actual uh, Catholic school in the Bronx. And the character Amy Ryan plays... Not Amy Ryan. Uh, Amy Adams plays in the movie um, is inspired by uh, a nun, uh, a Sister McEntee, who... I am distantly related to. How distantly? Um, my grand, my mother, my father's mother, um, is uh, her last name is McEntee. So I think there's some kind of relation there. I've been told. Oh, okay. So uh, Margaret McEntee, I think, was her name, and uh, yeah. So that was something that 
like it was kind of cool to find that out. Um, so let's get back to but, the movie. <clears throat> but when we get to Moonstruck, um, I so, thought this was a cute movie. Oh wait a minute! Before you go on, what was the second thing that struck you about this movie? You said the first part was that it was written by this guy. Second thing was what? Um. Oh well. All right. Here's here's a sort of theory. You might think this doesn't work, and feel free to say so, because I know you will. Um, I thought for a little while watching this, and this might sound like I'm putting the movie down, and I'm not meaning to in this way. It reminded me a little bit like Twilight. Because here you have like this woman who ha- has this guy in her life who would be you know, a pretty solid guy. You know, He might not be... The greatest guy on earth, but he's a nice enough chap. He's someone who, you know, is reliable, uh, can offer something stable, which is Danny Aiello. Then you have the bad boy, the sort of unpredictable one, which is Nicolas Cage, i.e. Robert Pattinson. So you have that sort of split between, you know, a girl between two potential lovers. Are you saying this is like a, a Jacob Edwards situation? Sort of. I mean, the difference is, is that, obviously in Moonstruck... Uh, the sort of, quote Jacob character is off away for a while, and this is how the romance is sort of left to develop between. Well, uh, I, I think what you're talking about is a staple now, of a lot of romantic stories: the stable yeah. relationship versus the bad boy. Yeah. Now, obviously, Twilight is the really shitty version of this type of story. Moonstruck, there is uh, some, you know, th- th- it's a lot better. Than it's obviously because of the actors, and also the situation is different. Um, it's it's a cute movie to me. It's like kind of adorable. It's quirky. It's not a very deep movie to me. But the thing about Moonstruck oh. that sets it apart from a lot of oh. what? also I have to bring up the moon. Yeah, the moon. You is, also uh... notice I don't know I don't know if you noticed this, but it seems like characters end up kind of they're really fascinated by the moon itself. And yeah. I, feel, I have to wonder if it was intentional on the writer or the director's part that the moon does weird things to people, i.e. a werewolf. Oh, well, that's <laughs> a similar thing. Like, the moon it, it conjures up certain images of romance. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, people think moonlight is romantic. But it's all, it, it, I think the title goes back to that story that uh, the uncle Cher's uncle in the uh, yeah. in the movie tells the story he tells where he looks up at the moon and it's like it's as huge as a house right outside of his window and that's what they make it look like in the film yeah much better than the moon in Evil Dead but <laughs> and the, and then they use well it's Evil Dead come on. <laughs> and then they use the uh, and then they use the Dean Martin song uh, that's a more that's a more when uh, I'm not going to sing it for you. When the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's yeah. amore. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, the thing I think that set, the thing that sets it apart, sets Moonstruck apart, is that it's it's basically part of a dying breed now of a mature romantic comedy. No, I, I totally agree with that. And not only that, you have you know, where you have people the... aren't idiots. No, they're not idiots. <laughs> and there's they no can't... misunderstanding. Not that... not too much. No, I mean. And also, actually, I did like that. I mean, there's a point in the movie where they could have furthered the misunderstanding. Like, Olympia Dukakis, you know, finds out that her husband has been sort of seeing another woman for a while. And she basically confronts him about it. And, you know... Like a human being. Yeah. As a human being, 
Cher and Nicolas Cage try to work out their feelings like human beings, even though obviously Nicolas Cage's character is a bit, you know, more of a fiery kind of guy. Yeah, but very subdued from Nicolas Cage. <laughs> Perhaps, yeah. Um, it's interesting with Nicolas Cage in 1987. This is when Moonstruck came out. The other movie that that he had that year was Raising Arizona. Oh yeah. So you have you know two pretty wild extremes, but also you know you know men who are trying to do right by their women. You know what I've heard. Um, what was the name of that Martin Scorsese film with Nicolas Cage? Bring Out the Dead. Yeah. It's that, that movie, what I've heard about that, uh, from, from this blog, The Unloved, that you sometimes see on, uh, Roger Ebert's website. Oh, that's, that's a great series. Yeah. Uh, so, so have you seen this? I've seen a... I've, I don't know if I watched that video. The, there's one, one for Bringing Out the Dead, where it talks, yeah. where it says, like, th- that that film is all a metaphor for Nicolas Cage's career. Where at, where uh, he, he does, so. he, Nicolas Cage, he plays all these crazy parts, and he plays basically anything. Like, he does Ghost Rider, he did the Left Behind series, he did uh, Knowing, and, it's uh, easy to forget, and though, Next. But it's easy to forget that he's an Academy Award winning actor. Right, but he's, and he's done great stuff like Moonstruck, and... Raising Arizona, leaving Las Vegas, leaving uh, yeah adaptation. And, we've, we've, and that one David Lynch film, uh, Wild at Heart, Wild which is at amazing. Heart. Right, but but he you know he's all across the board, and his character in Bringing Out the Dead is supposed to be a metaphor for himself, where he can't help not mm. acting, <laughs> just like he can't help being a paramedic in in Bringing Out the Dead. He can't help. Uh, just it's an interesting thought because his character being as passionate as he is yeah well it's interesting you bring that up because you know his character in that movie is like an insomniac and so nicholas cage is mostly in that movie playing sort of a tired guy but he ends up kind of getting riled up constantly because of his job as a paramedic um but uh that's interesting yeah that's an interesting metaphor it's I, a, it's like, I don't know if I totally see that but I, it's an interesting point of view well check out the check out the video about bringing out the dead because uh, it makes a little more sense when you when you actually get the whole speech yeah I think for me that that movie is more about Scorsese than anybody else really. maybe you're right or Scorsese and Paul Schrader because they did taxi driver and it's kind of like the the 90s answer to taxi driver to me but let's get back to Moonstruck. But Moonstruck, it's a it's a lovely little movie. I um, you know, it co- it goes by pretty fast. I mean, you have this main conflict with Cher, and you know, and she. I felt like well, Cher is this. She's approaching middle age. Her character is a little bit, yeah. And she, she and her she, husband died suddenly, which of course her dad takes as like. There's some kind of sign that it was sort of your fault. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, that doesn't just happen. Um, you know, it's like bad luck or something. It's, you know, the movie's filled with very... It's full. It's very Italian. It's yeah. like the kind of movie where it's like accordions play the music soundtrack. <laughs> I guess, in a way, you could say this movie tries to portray Italians in a positive light. It's not tr- it's not showing them as gangsters. Nobody's a criminal or hoodlum. So that's fine. But I feel like the other trap though is that again like they're you they also fall into kind of caricature. Like they felt like they were very quirky, sweet Italian lovable things like the grandfather is it the grandfather the uncle who has all the dogs. Grandfather has all the dogs. Yeah, he felt like he was more of like a quirky um 
you know, magic Italian spirit. Well, yeah, but he doesn't do much. He's kind of there. Uh, yeah, he, he's more he, like the silent he, Bob of that movie. He's uh, He has the scene where he sees uh, Olympia Dukakis' character with uh, yeah. Frazier's dad. I keep forgetting his John name. John Mahoney. John Mahoney. And uh, there's a little bit of a misunderstanding there. But, uh, but he's yeah. mostly there to walk his dogs. Yeah. Um, so, I, and I think, you know, there's there is a good conflict in the movie. It feels like it, it resolves itself pretty fast by the end. Uh, maybe in a comical way, you could say. Yeah. Um, but it's not... But it just feels like... It felt very light. It felt like a... You know what it felt like? It felt like a good movie to watch with, like, if you're trying to do a first date. And it was interesting that I sort of saw this on right around Valentine's Day. Because it's a good... It's a good quality romantic comedy, as you said, that doesn't really get made much anymore. I, I would say that if you want to see a movie sort of like that, that just came out, there was a movie called Enough Said. It was one of James Gandolfini's last movies. Oh, yeah. And uh, that was a movie that, it, that was sort of like doing Moonstruck, but better, maybe. Hmm. Like, so, and I, I, I was like, I enjoyed Moonstruck, most, in large part for Nicolas Cage. I, I don't know why, but I'd seen a clip of him in the movie, and I thought his accent was over the top. When I watched it, but now watching it in the movie, it it seemed better. Yeah, and I like that his character he's filled with rage because you know he doesn't have a hand and he blames cut his hand getting cut off on his uh, on his on, brother the Dan, who was yeah. played by Danny Aiello. Yeah, Danny Aiello, and well that happened years before, like right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I so I enjoyed it. The, you know the performances are really sweet. I mean I'm. You know, well, Cher got the Cher, Olympia Dukakis is really good. I almost feel like as good as Cher is in the movie, Olympia Dukakis is even better because she has kind of the more interesting role to play. Yeah, she's not she's not this overbearing mother. She's yeah. she, you know she's level headed and you know in some ways just kind of stoic about things. I mean, she knows almost without almost by instinct that her husband is having an affair but she doesn't panic uh she's concerned and she doesn't know how to approach this thing so she keeps asking this question of so she keeps asking men this question why do men chase women yeah <laughs> exactly um so yeah i feel like it's a good movie made for that kind of audience for you know well what kind of audience what's the audience for this film do you think i think well women i think especially like Maybe women who are adults, maybe even middle-aged to older Well, women. to be a woman is implied being an adult. Girl, woman. Yes. Uh, woman's in it. Yeah, I was confused. Well, <laughs> you could consider a teenager a, a woman, even though they... Well, no, I mean, not legally. Well, this isn't the point. The <laughs> okay, I'm getting off point here, but the point is like... But I feel like for... this is a film that anybody could... That anybody can enjoy it. and i feel like it's and it's and it feels great to me because ev because i don't like romantic movies nowadays mm. i mean you talk about the thin man where william powell and myrna loy are a great team not just because of their wit but because they seem like you can tell a legitimate couple they're, they're a legitimate couple they have that chemistry there, there's um, an affection between their characters. There, there's an affection that is legitimately sweet, and that you can feel between them. And then that also translates uh, as a sort of emotional backbone. 
for everything else that happens in the movie. Right, and in Moonstruck, what's uh, the thing that I love is that Nicolas Cage and Cher not only they do work, not only well. act well, but they are a great couple in that. Sure, no, and, I, I can see that. And there was, and and the film is light. It's 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 but it good in but in ador- a, a good sort of light movie. You want like the movie the movie's kind of like a puppy. You want like just, you know have it, it comes up and licks your face, and that's that's a fine feeling. I'd say it's more like a big, furry, <laughs> gentle dog. <laughs> it's like a Totoro. Okay, I'll give you that. It comes up and you can sit on its belly and it goes like, and. <laughs> The, and the reason I chose this for you is because well you would just well you'd actually seen I had it, just and seen I hadn't. it and you and you hadn't well and I was kind of strapped for films to to show you no and but, I'm, but I am glad I watched it because you know I want to see all the Nicolas Cage movies I can yeah because I think that um uh you know his career is one of the most fascinating in modern Hollywood. Movie. Nicholas Cage's career is a roller coaster that has not yet stopped. In 2014 alone, looking at the movies that he chose to do, it's like a seesaw of. Like, he did a movie called Joe, which I still need to watch. Uh, it's a movie by this director, David Gordon Green. It's actually a pretty serious drama, it looks like, or a sort of drama thriller about a guy trying to protect his son and you know, unsavory elements. He has a beard. So you know it's kind of serious. Um, <laughs> so he did that. Then he made Left Behind. Yeah. Which I am told is possibly his worst movie. Which is saying a lot. Even worse than The Wicker Man. Well, the thing is, apparently in this movie, Left Behind, like, now again, I haven't seen it, so I can't judge. But even from just seeing the trailer and from hearing what I've heard... This is him showing up just to pick up a check. Like, he has debts. He's not enjoying himself in a bad movie. Like, in The Wicker Man, you could tell he's sort of having fun on some level. And I think he even came out years later and said, like, oh, you, you can't take my, my role in The Wicker Man seriously. You know, well, don't I, worry, we don't. I, I, I punch out a woman in a pair costume. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is the best. Um... <laughs> But, but yeah, but you could just see in this year alone, and maybe he did other movies. Like, I'm hoping that he's paid off his debts and maybe he can go back to making real stuff. Like, I mean, but he's just had weird, like, he's even done animated voices. He did a voice for this movie, The Croods. He wow. did a voice for the movie Astro Boy. Um, <laughs> he actually was really good in The Croods. I, you should check that out when you get a chance. I remember we saw the trailer for that before uh, Frank and Weenie. Okay. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it, it didn't seem good at all, but if... Uh... <laughs> it was enjoyable, I'll, I'll give it that. Like, it's not a deep, it's not a great animated movie, per se, but it's it's a fun afternoon thing. Um, but, yeah, so, it was also one one of the last things with Moonstruck. It was, it was kind of nice to see Cher looking normal and attractive. Yeah. Like, in recent years... She's done some pretty bad plastic surgery to try to preserve her look. And in this movie, you know, like she even looks attractive when early on in the movie she has like this bit of gray in her hair. Yeah. And then midway through she gets like a hair job and it kind of goes away. But, you know, she looks like a real nice woman. Well, keep in mind that this was uh, 
that this was more than 20 years ago? Yeah, this was her peak. This was like right, you know, if I could turn back time era share. It's kind of like, uh, remember Foxfire? With Angelina Jolie? Yeah. Now, forget about the quality of that film. Remember the distinct scene where Angelina Jolie goes topless. How could I? Now, we have have in this film a preservation of a very of a very beautiful natural sight. Well, you can uh, there are also other movies too of that. Okay, but this is kind of, I I would uh, I got what you're saying. Right. It's a movie you saw which Yes. Um, if you want a better Angie movie uh, with that, check out Gia. Okay. Um, uh, so think of think of Moonstruck as a sample collection specimen bottle of share at her peak. Okay, I guess that works. Man, that's a terrible way to judge yeah. this film. <laughs> yeah, so it's an enjoyable movie. What was it? The best? Was it one of the best films of 1987? No. What is the best film of 1987? Um, either Full Metal Jacket or Evil Dead Two. Oh, okay. Those also, are good choices. Also, The Last Emperor was a pretty deserved Best Picture winner. Okay. Not bad. Um, I'm sure if I if I thought longer, I could come up with a better answer. But those are just those are the stock answers for 1987. Okay, well that makes sense. Yeah. So. Oh, and Raising Arizona was also a great one from that. Oh yeah, right. Okay. Yes. So yeah, you, you've made your you've made your point. All right. So let's move on to your film. All right. What I watched is Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. That's what's got to be in it. What? The Capitol Dome. On paper? I want to make that come to life for every boy in this land. Yes, and all light it up like that, too. You see, you see, boys forget what their country means by just reading the land of the free in history books. And they get to be men, they forget even more. Liberty is too precious a thing to be buried in books, Miss Saunders. Men should hold it up in front of them every single day of their lives and say, I'm free think and to speak my ancestors couldn't i can and my children will boys ought to grow up remembering that and and that that steering committee or whatever it is they've got to see it like that and i know senator payne will do all he can to help me because he's a wonderful man isn't he saunders you know he knew my father very well he did yeah yeah we need a lot more like him his kind of character his ideals um Let's get on with this. Oh, yes. All right. This camp is going to be out in your state. About 200 of the most beautiful acres that ever were. You've never been out in that country, have you, Miss Saunders? No. I've been over every single foot of it. You could have no idea. You just have to see it for yourself. I don't know. The prairies and wind leaning on the tall grass and lazy streams down in the meadows, angry little midgets of water up in the mountains, cattle moving down the slope against the sun, campfires and snowdrifts. You know, everybody ought to have some of that sometime in his life. Oh, you, you watched me, huh? Yeah. And oh, here's something right. I realized as I as it's funny, we I watched this. James Stewart movies. Right. Here's something I realized as <laughs> I was watching this movie. My dad came uh, came in and said, oh, the movie with Gary Cooper? I'm like, no, that's Mr. Deeds. And I'm like, wait. Uh, and then I said, wait. wait. In case you didn't hear it, folks, I just facepalmed. And then I said, wait a minute. But you think that this he... title is a play on Mr. Deeds Goes to Town. Hmm. I finally re- I realized that. And 
it's, it's from the, it's the sa- and it's the same kind of story mm-hmm. of uh, a sort of naive, uh, inexperienced guy goes into a big city, uh, gets disillusioned with uh, with modern society, and gets ridiculed by the people who are there. Yeah, and but eventually he wises up, he learns something, and he gets uh, the and he gets the attention of the sort of jaded uh, yeah. woman who who has to look after him uh, in. In with Mr. Deeds, it was uh, Gary Cooper and just going to the big city. In this one, in Mr. Smith, it's uh, J- Jimmy Stewart going to Washington, D.C. Yeah, I'm just surprised that your dad would confuse those two actors. No, uh, he didn't confuse the actors, he just confused the titles. Oh, okay. And also my dad makes kind of half-hearted jokes like that, so... <laughs> Yeah. Okay, well... But, it's, he it's helped, but he helped me realize something. Uh, yeah, well... And, and uh, I think Frank Capra, that was one of his uh, one of his hallmarks, was having a movie about, uh, I, mean, I don't know if you could say this, but the word disillusionment. Like, even in It's a Wonderful Life, you have that to a degree. I don't think It's a Wonderful Life is about so much disillusionment. I mean, J- Jimmy Stewart doesn't really have his uh, expectations shattered. Uh, in It's a Wonderful Life. He just goes on this gradual decline where he, he keeps giving up more and more of his dreams to... Uh, you not call that sort of disillusionment? No, disillusionment is like is having high hopes for something. Like, in, in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, um, Jefferson Smith goes to Washington. He doesn't realize that he's set up to be this political stooge who's just supposed to stay out of the limelight and mm-hmm. and and not do anything. Yeah. Uh, in in It's a Wonderful Life, uh, in It's a Wonderful Life, George Bailey is under no illusions. He knows exactly what's going on, and he makes his own choices. Mm-hmm. He, you know, they're tough choices. Like, do I go to college or do I set my father's business aside, or do I go live my dream, or do I let, or do I stay here and mm-hmm. prevent Mister Potter from destroying yes. the town? I mean, that's not disillusionment. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's in control of his destiny, even if his destiny is crap. But uh, I'm sorry, you, you lost your thought. I uh, I, I wasn't sure. Where, uh, but the point <laughs> but is, though, not... yeah, it's Mr. Smith. Like in, in the, today, that sort of name, you know, you're like a Mr. Smith uh, going to Washington. That's actually used now in political parlance as if someone is naive. Yeah. That they're going to Washington, they're expecting that, you know, hey, you know, I'm going to go and visit the Lincoln Memorial, and this will be great. This is what America was all about. Right, and, and that's where the film approaches the sort of sentimentality that I think all people expect from Frank Capra. Yes. I mean, uh, when we think of Frank Capra, I think these are the, t- like, It's a Wonderful Life and Mr. Smith are basically the two films that people think of. Yes. Uh, and they think of this sort of, Maybe this sort of cornball uh, sentimentality, and that part where Jefferson Smith is like he just wanders out of the train station and tours Washington, you know, awestruck about the Lincoln Memorial, and then like that little kid reads the, the Gettysburg yeah. Address, and that old man puts his ha- hat on his on it over his heart. But you know, and it, that's that's the height of sentimentality in this. And it does, but you know, it's it, but it kind of works because it does work. Frank, Frank Capra. You might think that he's doing a satire, but there is a sincerity there. It is very sincere, and the sentimentality is not the height of the movie. 
Like, that's the height of the sentimentality. <clears throat> and the rest of the movie is about Jefferson Smith getting disillusioned. There you go. About becoming ridiculed because he is so naive. Because he, he accepts all these things about America without really understanding how government works. Yeah. Or that... or the corruption which is inherent to the it's the very reason for him being there is that they think he's just a naive fool who is going to just step aside and not mess up what's going on. Yeah, and the like, thing is he's not he, the thing is he's not a stupid man though. That's no, he's not a stupid man. He just doesn't know what's going on. <clears throat> exactly. Uh let's go over the plot just very quickly. There uh Jimmy Stewart plays Jefferson Smith, who is from an unnamed state. That's right. The state, the state senator dies, and he was part of this sort of scheme to get graft for the state. Like, yeah. they're, they're trying to pass, like, some sort of New Deal bill where everybody will get aid, and their state's going to get, like, a little chunk so they can build a dam, but the dam's not going to get built. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they still need a senator, so they need to appoint somebody. So they get somebody who's not going to interfere. They take Jefferson Smith, who's just this kind of youth uh who's just this kind of outdoorsy uh folksy folksy ranger <laughs> who works with kids and just likes the outdoors and and who's just kind of like this big american history buff who loves uh who just loves everything about america uh and then he gets there and he he's like oh washington is awesome and then he finds out gradually why he's there and and then then things things start to crumble but then of course you can't talk about this movie without talking about the climax which i think is one of like the mother climaxes of american movies yes the filibuster filibuster and when you talk about filibusters this is before filibusters became annoying no well (laughs) well well, there are still occasionally a, a, a guy will go on and do a filibuster for that long and of course and they'll be compared to or like that Smith. or like that woman who uh, <clears throat> who in texas was trying to prevent wendy davis i think yeah she was trying to prevent a bill that would restrict abortions and she just stood up there for god knows how long in those pink sneakers of hers and the, <laughs> and the thing that's crazy is that when you're doing a filibuster you can't leave uh, i always got a great kick out of that part of the declaration of independence now, you're not going to have a country that can make these kind of rules work if you haven't got men that have learned to tell human rights from a punch in the nose. That's good for a headline. It's a funny thing about men, you know. They all start life being boys. I wouldn't be a bit surprised some of these senators were boys once. And that's why it seemed like a pretty good idea to me to get boys out of crowded cities and stuffy basements for a couple of months out of the year and build their bodies and minds for man-sized job because those boys are going to be behind these desks some of these days. It seemed like a pretty good idea, getting boys from all over the country, boys of all nationalities and ways of living, getting them together. Let them find out what makes different people tick the way they do. Because I wouldn't give you two cents for all your fancy rules if behind them they didn't have a little bit of plain, ordinary, everyday kindness. And a a little looking out for the other fella, too. pretty important all that it's just the blood and bone and sinew of this democracy that some great men handed down to the human race that's all but of course if you've got to build a dam where that boys camp ought to be to get some graft to pay off some political army or something lots of different things oh no 
If you think I'm going back there and tell those boys in my state and say, look, now, fellas, forget about it. Forget all this stuff I've been telling you about this land you live in is a lot of hooey. This isn't your country. It belongs to a lot of James Taylors. Oh, no, not me. And anybody here that thinks I'm going to do that, they got another thing coming. Senator Smith has now talked for 23 hours and 16 minutes. It is the most unusual and spectacular thing in the Senate annals. One lone and simple American holding the greatest floor in the land. Well, you cannot leave the chambers and you cannot sit down. You can't sit down. And you can't... You have to go to the bathroom. God help you. Yeah. And there's a part in where Jimmy Stewart where Jefferson Smith is giving his speech and he's kind of like, uh, uh, rotating his knees. And I'm wondering like, is it because his legs are tired or because he really has to go to the bathroom? (laughs) Because you can't leave. You can't sit down. You can only drink. This is an actual rule from the Senate. You cannot drink anything except water or milk. (laughs) This, this is an actual rule. Well, that was probably made at a time when, you know, Men probably drank really stiff alcohol, so they people drank a lot more stiff alcohol in the past. (laughs) But uh, and he has to give this twenty-four hour filibuster, and you know we're on a podcast; we can talk for four hours. I don't think we could talk for a whole day, but let's give it a try sometime. We'll we'll filibuster the internet. Uh, We'll 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 do an audio commentary on like a TV show nonstop or something. Yeah. Or or all we'll watch like all of the Lord of the Rings and Hobbit movies back to back. Oh and, god. And like god help us. We'll, we'll, but you really get a feel for it because like yeah. at the end of this filibuster It's it's what's great is that I remember too like there aren't there like boy scouts in like the wings and they're sort of cheering yeah. on. And, and it's real political theater where you get excited like people are up in the gallery clapping and they're like all right everyone quiet up there. And uh, Jimmy and uh, Jefferson Smith's gr- like girlfriend, the woman who was oh, yeah. who was so jaded before, but she, you know she kind of falls under yeah, his right. spell. Like uh, she's coaching him from up in the gallery, yeah. and even the speaker of the house, uh, uh, no, the the president of the Senate, speaker of the house is different. He even he like notices and he looks up at her, is like, all right, what next? <laughs> and uh, and then especially there was that point where I I always can't forget when. Like, he's so hoarse that, you know, he can barely speak. Yeah. But that's he's... when he's most heartfelt, because it's like, he's talking about all the ideals of America, and, you know... Based on one simple rule, love thy neighbor. Yeah. yeah. But the... <laughs> there is, like... This film is great, but there is a part where it gets a little crazy. Oh, sure. Well, uh, this is the part, like Jimmy Stewart's doing his filibuster mm-hmm. and people are trying to get the word out that he's trying to speak out against this graft that's gotten him into trouble. Right. Now the press is run by this political machine, so they're not putting anything out, but they realize like Jefferson Smith, he had like a tiny newspaper for like for boys and stuff. So they start printing stuff there. And oh, then, yeah, yeah. and then when the political I, cronies start realize that they're doing it, they they break up the newspaper. <laughs> like they yeah. they actually walk into this tiny newspaper office and slap the kids around. <laughs> yeah, and uh, break them. You know, the, and, the thing is that it's been when I watched this movie, it was in a it was in a class in college. Yeah. Um, and I remember the movie well in a lot of parts, but I had a professor who talked throughout like almost the entire movie yeah doing his own kind of weird commentary and so my memory of the movie is sort of mixed with his commentary on it yeah so um 
there are parts that stick out, and then there are little parts like the plot where you mentioned his girlfriend, and all of a sudden it came rushing back to me like, oh yeah, he has a really tense... His his relationship with his girlfriend is interesting because it's like, yeah, she really recognizes the sort of corruption even more than he does. Well, she knew the corruption was there from the beginning. She knew exactly what he was supposed to be. But then she sees how vulnerable she she is and that he doesn't realize how they're going to tear him apart. Right. And, And then when it does happen... You know, it's like it's like throwing a kitten into a shark tank, and then she, and she can't take it anymore. Yes, uh, and that's what motivates her. Mm-hmm. But but then like the part where they slap around those kids to try to stop and prevent from printing news—that's not even the worst part. Like <laughs> there are these little kids who are like on a truck who are who are handing out the papers and then there's another truck run by the other newspaper with these thugs in it. And the kids are just like, uh, you know, sticking their tongues out. And then the other truck just runs them off the road. (laughs) (laughs) And my brother and I were watching it like, Jesus, what's going on? (laughs) There's some, there's some parts in this wonderful life that get a little crazy. Not that crazy. Mm. Not like attempted child, child murder. Crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not. Uh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a little it's a little weird that like there's a that George Bailey's whole story is that there's a like his life story is being told to his guardian angel who then has to show him what his life was like. Yeah. But I mean that's all set up from the beginning. We like everything like where they start to punch kids and where they start to run them off the road. That's where it just gets excessive. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, Frank Capra, he, he wasn't known for half measures as a filmmaker. Well, I'll give you that. Um, uh, there was something I wanted to bring up um, that I I meant to bring this up to you. I, I should have brought it up when I talked about uh, After the Thin Man, but it relates to uh, uh, It's a Wonderful Life in a way. Um, and I have to bring this up because I will forget, because uh, you'll love this. Um the writers of uh, the first three uh, Thin Man movies, and they also wrote It's a Wonderful Life. Um, they also wrote uh, the, the Diary of Anne Frank, uh, the adaptation of that. Oh, so, they didn't write the actual diary. They adapted the diary. <laughs> they, were, they were the ghost writers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's a tasteless joke if I ever heard one. Um, actually, not as bad as Joan Rivers' joke, who who said she was a t- Anne Frank was a terrible writer. It's like look at the end of that book, and then the, then we're coming up the stairs. End of book. What writing is that? <sighs> All right, but the point is, so two people wrote the script for those Thin Man movies, and these two people were credited as writers on *It's a Wonderful Life*: Francis Goodrich and Albert Hackett. Okay. I was looking them up because I was just curious about the credits for, oh, who wrote these Thin Man movies? They're so funny. And, oh, they wrote It's a Wonderful Life, too. That's awesome. And they oh, and they wrote the adaptation of Diary of Aunt Frank and Seven Brides for Seven Brothers and Father of the Bride, all these really sweet, wholesome movies. In 1944, they write a movie called The Hitler Gang. What? <laughs> there is a movie released by Paramount Pictures called The Hitler Gang. Which has the tagline in bold letters: "See the shocking murder of Hitler's niece." What? <laughs> yes, Hitler wasn't dead by 1944. <laughs> what are we talking about? 
<laughs> well, no, the murder of Hitler's niece, not which who knows who Hitler's niece was. Yeah, who cares? <laughs> yeah. Well, apparently this was and witness Hitler's second cousin get a hangnail. <laughs> well, apparently the plot, according to IMDb, says this movie shows us the rise of Adolf Hitler from a small radical political adventurer to the dictator of Germany in the way of a gangster film. All so right. I know I weird. Just, I knew World War Two was a weird time, but yeah, the Hitler gang. Uh, I love that. It's like it makes me just think of something like. What is this, like the Apple Dumpling Gang or something? Yeah. Like, <laughs> and apparently this says, except for some minor inaccuracies, the historical facts are given in a correct way. All and right. it's directed by John Farrow, uh, Miro, Fathers, Miro Farrow's father. Father? Father. Father. No. <laughs> Hello, mother. Hello, father. <laughs> Oh God! I anyway, think, I think my brain was melted. But the point is, I just had to bring that up because of yeah, the craziness that was World War Two, and the writers of the Thin Man and It's a Wonderful Life making, uh, making that. Well, let's not forget Frank Capra did some very interesting work for the U.S. Army. I saw you showed me some of. Yeah, that Frank Capra ago. directed a a sort of education film for GIs called Why We Fight. Which was yeah. which was an outline of the origins of World War Two and what uh, fascism and Nazism and Japanese expansion were all part, and basically a history of World War Two up to that point. It's like, okay, guys, here's what came before. Good luck. <laughs> and it's a really well made film. Like I told you about, like <clears throat> the first time I watched it, there's a real urgency to it because World War Two was still going on and. Uh, and it talks about Hitler's rise to power and all the terrible things he was doing. Right. And I and I was starting to get this sort of this sort of anxiety in me. Like in what way? Like it's like because you mean he's... it's like the Nazis. Like they're doing all these terrible things. Someone's got to do something about this. Well, <laughs> and it's a really well uh, it's a really well made film. Yeah. I, I'm glad I own a copy but, of it. But the point is, Frank Capra knew how to get under your skin. Yeah. Whether it was with Nazis or not in a David or possibly killing children. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I was like, "Oh yeah, the the war is over." Well, thank God we dodged that bullet. Yeah, uh, exactly. But still, yeah. But I'm Mr. Fine. Smith goes to Washington, an essential, uh, you know, American drama. Yes, and in part, kind of like a satire as well. But it's like, but it's, it's not at the same time. It's it's. Uh, I wouldn't say it's satirical. No, it it's, pokes more like, fun. it's more like a fable. It, it pokes fun at... Yeah, it's kind of like a fable. It pokes fun at the idealistic people, but it definitely sh shows the danger of the cynical people. And it shows this very hopeful story about one man coming to terms yeah. with both those like, things. Because going into the movie, I thought it was all going to be about, like, you know... Flag-waving. Yeah, and... flag-waving American patriotic, you know, hokum. And it's not. It's a little bit... It has more depth than that. Right. It's it's kind of showing that sort of patriotism for the sham it is. Exactly. And, but still, hope. it shows... It has a hopeful message. See? Hopeful message that even in a very heavy subject, like this man being crushed by a political machine, there is this idea that you can do something, no matter how hopeless it seems. Like, exactly. the hopeless cause... As it says in the film, the hopeless causes are the ones worth fighting for. Yeah. 
Yes, exactly. That might sound corny to you, but in, if you ever saw Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, you know exactly what it means. Yeah, or if you've ever read, or if you've ever heard of the of a book, which I think is called like The Case for Hopeless Causes. I'm asking a question because now I'm like, is this a book? Uh, but that's all I want to say about Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Yes, and uh, yeah, uh, there you go. Thank you for checking that out. All right. All right. We're going to take a, sh- you want to take a short break? Let's, yeah, let's take one quick break. After this, we're going to talk about Fifty Shades of Grey and Ooh, its context. Baby. I just had to do that. I guess this is just another lost cause, Mr. Payne. All you people don't know about lost causes. Mr. Payne does. He said once they were the only causes worth fighting for. And he fought for them once. For the only reason any man ever fights for them. Because of just one plain, simple rule. Love thy neighbor. And in this world today, full of hatred, a man who knows that one rule has a great trust. You know that rule, Mr. Payne. And I loved you for it just as my father did. And you know that you fight for the lost causes harder than for any others. Yes, you even die for them. Like a man we both knew, Mr. Payne. You think I'm licked. You all think I'm licked. Well, I'm not licked. And I'm going to stay right here and fight for this lost cause. Even if this room gets filled with lies like these. And the tailors and all their armies come marching into this place. Somebody will listen to me. <laughs> 